Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Ebony Harris. And I'm Elisa Bokeen. And we are two brown chicks changing the face of therapy on both sides of the, of the couch. couch. Yes. Thank you for joining us today. We have a very special guest. Yes, I'm so excited. If you joined us for our Changing the Face of Therapy webinar, um, then you got a chance to hear some of what Dr. Manuel had to share with us that day. And so we're so excited. We have Dr. Manuel, Dr. Manuel. (laughs) (laughs) Zamarripa is here today, and he is with the um, Chicano, uh, Chicano, Chicana, Manuel, I'm so sorry. (laughs) My coffee has not kicked in yet. He is a clinician, a consultant, a cultural educator, and the director of the Institute of Chicano Chicana Psychology in Austin, Texas. Um, Manuel, the way that I got to know him was Facebook and has these workshops, which um, he calls platicas which are talks, right? Um, Because that's really what it is. And it's about bringing the community together, helping to educate professionals and the community on how to provide culturally competent um, therapy. And and, and it's not always therapy-based. It's just issues that may be affecting the community. Yeah. So I'm so excited that you're here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Can y'all hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you. So can you start off with just telling us a little bit about your practice and what type of clients you do, you see within your practice? Yeah, um, right now, um, you know, I was thinking about it and of course it makes sense, but sometimes we don't, you know, step back and, and look at what we're doing. So I'm glad that y'all sent um, some reminders about that. And, you know, all the clients that I have, I mean, 99% of them are, are folks of color um and primarily uh latinx um but um and they're almost exclusively uh young adults right now which is a which is a shift i think for me because uh, before i was seeing a little bit more couples um and uh and i used to work with adolescents a lot uh, mostly boys of color mm-hmm. uh, 13 14 15 year olds um and so, um, so, but right now it looks like it's kind of young adults, a lot of transitional issues in that, um, you know, that stage of life. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I mean, it's all clients of color right now, you know, people of color. So. Awesome. awesome. I think that is true. You don't think about like the people that you're attracting until you kind of take a step back and look at your practice and like, oh, this yeah. is cool. And especially when you're able to really resonate and be like, I feel good about who I'm working with. And mm-hmm. that's when you should really start paying attention to who your clients are, because that's who you should continue to work with. <laughs> and you see clients in Austin, correct? Right. Yeah. Okay. And and we we went to, was that Dallas when we met some people from Austin and they were saying how um, it's difficult to find clinicians of color there? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was when we went to the Dallas happy hour and then HAM, uh, not HAM, TAMFT was there. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. and they knew you though. Yeah. We met, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we met you. They're like, oh yes, Manuel. And it's been at um, the Austin happy hour too. So you definitely have made a name for the, for yourself and, and, and are known for the work that you're doing. Yeah. 
Definitely. So you were one of our panelists uh, for the town hall. And one of the things you said that I feel like resonated with most of the people, <laughs> us and everyone yeah. else there, was therapy is ours. Um, and when you explained it, I felt like everyone was kind of just enamored and, and just taken aback because we've never really heard it in that way um, to, to claim it as something that belongs to us. And so can you kind of explain on, this, on that a little bit and say more about what you meant by that statement? Yeah, um, it is part of, I think, what what marginalized peoples and, and, and brown peoples um, have to do in different areas where we reclaim certain things that have kind of been um, in a lot of ways taken from us or, or packaged in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the mental health field, the way it currently is, definitely, you know, uh, the modern way of doing it definitely has its I guess it's um, beginnings kind of with the Freudian, you know, perspective, because he, uh, what he was really trying to do is he was really trying to take this healthy profession and, and take, um, medicalize it. I mean, that was really like, he tried to connect everything to uh, physical, physiological. That's why a lot of his theories are sexually based because he, was trying to find something within the body that explains mm -hmm. everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and so kind of the, our mental health, you know, um, legacy currently stems from that, even though, you know, most people definitely see things more broadly. Um, but because that's kind of the modern take on it, you know, the modern route, um, <laughs> it, I think it, you know, it has a very um, narrow perspective that we are not, the, the, the narrative we're familiar with is that therapy just doesn't seem to be for us, you know, black and brown folks. Right. Um, and a lot of our, our people, a lot of our folks, a lot of our gente, they, they feel that, like, why am I going to go to this mm -hmm. you know, thing that seems so foreign, right? Right. And... And so I think that's the point where, um, if we look at it, this is a practice and a way of doing things that has been kind of um, hijacked because, you know, black and brown folks and our ancestors and our people have always come to different people in the community that had certain wisdom, mm. right? Um, whether it's elders, spiritual leaders, we've always come to circles, which we, now we call group therapy, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and we understood the benefit that uh, of community and of sharing, right? Um, we didn't have this mentality necessarily that we were an island unto ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so therapy, the idea that we go to someone, if it's someone like what y'all are doing and what we're trying to promote that is culturally responsive, right? Um, and if that's the person on the other side, then that process, you know, is something that we've been doing for generations, for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So I think it is kind of, um, it's kind of unpacking what's already there. But when I say that, it is also kind of a new idea because it's the idea of reclaiming this idea, this notion that um therapy is ours this is mm. something that we have done and our people the people that we work with and our families you know and our mm. relatives 
you know, it's a way to explain it to them. Like this is ours. This is what we've been doing forever. And this notion that we've had probably just like five generations back, you know, in our families is a pretty new one that coming and talking to somebody um, is something that we don't do. It's something that we have now. Part of what we're all doing is expanding the, the mental health field and the idea of therapy and the idea of mental health and exactly what y'all are saying, like therapy is dope and all of that idea is expanding it. And that's where our people can come into the fold. You know, as long as the gatekeepers are people that aren't, aren't understanding of who we are and our legacies and our history, if those are the gatekeepers of the field, then it's going to continue to shut us out. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we continue to expand it, then we can go back to this idea that um, this is something we've always done. You know, it's in it's in our history. Uh, it's important. It, it's healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, health, right? It's a healthy thing to do to to reach out. It's a healthy thing to do to share so that someone can help guide us so that we can find that strength that's within each of us, right? So. I really, that was the first time, this is something I've been, you know, talking about a little bit and thinking about, but haven't branded, right, yet. Mm-hmm. You need to. was <laughs> to seem a natural way for me to kind of, because it was what we were talking about, and yeah. it is something that I'm going to continue to, I think, say, and I think it's yeah. important. Therapy is ours. Now, it's not exclusively ours, you know, right. folks can do it, but it's part of our legacy. It's part of what we do as a people. It's part of reclaiming this notion that we have ways of healing. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, and that's an important, empowering piece Absolutely. of clients in our communities. To, to yeah. It's that empowering piece because when you said it that day, I think everybody was like, yes. You know, we all kind of looked at one another. We were there. And then even when you're saying it now, like, I feel that. Like, it even makes me emotional as you're, as I'm listening to you. I'm like, that's right. Like, this is in my DNA. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's 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 such an important way um, to change the narrative of how we, how we view the field, how we view the, you know, what we're doing. I mean, just even as a clinician, the more I'm hearing you say that in this moment, like it just even, you know, broadens the, you know, expands for me the way that I'm going to continue to show up for my clients. So please keep talking about it. Right. Get a bumper sticker. Do the picture. (laughs) Do all of that. (laughs) Yeah, because I definitely think it's kind of, it connects the dots. Whereas we've discussed a lot how modern therapy was not created for us, mm-hmm. but it kind of makes it like, well, what they're doing necessarily isn't necessarily for us, but it goes into what did our ancestors do? How did they work as a community? Mm-hmm. And even the connection with the world and the earth and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of times we do, it feels like we go through this journey of learning more about how we're connected to each other and to the world around us. It's like a, I'll speak for myself. It's like a journey that I've been going on mm-hmm. of learning like more about this is just how people kind of heal themselves and heal other people by focusing on our connection to each other, but also our connection with the the earth and, and the, the world and the moon and stars and all those things. Yes, I love it. I, I know you do. <laughs> I'm <here> like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that because it is so much like when I'm thinking of that, I'm thinking, you know, 
of the tribes. I'm thinking of the of the elders in the tribe. I'm thinking of the healers. I'm thinking of, you know, all of that. Like, again, it really does feel just, um, just right. like I said, just even <laughs> to you talk about, it's like, that's, that is part of who we are, who we've always been. And so the idea of revisiting it, it does feel like this, like this piece that like, oh, that makes sense. Right. Oh, this has me excited already. Okay, yes. <laughs> and it's always, you know, my approach to everything, I think, in, in the field and being responsive to our clients is always a, a both and as opposed to either or. Mm. This is like what y'all are saying. It's, a, it's an added piece. It doesn't necessarily mean we throw everything else right. that we go out, but it is a problem if we exclude this piece yeah. and we say that it's, it doesn't have value because it it does, it's part, it should be part of this broad notion of mental health, particularly with with people that um, have, have, have this kind of history of healing, mm -hmm. you know? That's why it does, you know, it's a little frustrating even though this is, we don't hear this as much, but you know, Freud, when he came in, everyone was, you know, astonished, you know, the Western world, at, they called therapy the talking cure, right? Mm -hmm. And he introduced us to this new thing because he was a, a, a physician, a psychiatrist, mm -hmm. trying to be medical-based. And so he was trying to introduce and people were trying to see that this is a, instead of getting, um, you know, some, some kind of medication, mm -hmm. you know, um, that you could talk and it would be like getting medication, right? It's like, oh, wow, you know, and that's like one of the most ancient, you know, right. knowledge <laughs> that we already knew. Mm. So that's the thing is the things that have been introduced as new aren't necessarily new and they're definitely not new to our peoples. Right, right. And well, I don't like our people to think Mm -hmm. it's something new that they have to learn. I want them to know this is something that they knew before right. all of this. And and I think that's the thing is that so often when we talk about changing the face of therapy is because I think a lot of what happens within our communities is they they envision going to somebody that looked like Freud, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like sitting there analyzing them with that. And so... Yeah, love that. I love what you're saying. And, and that really, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. So I recently read an article, um, a recent Center for Disease Control report on youth risk behaviors. And they said there's a sky high level of sadness and hopelessness among Latinx youth, mm -hmm. especially Latinx females. What do you think is happening that is causing this? It was also the first, I'm sorry, it was also the first report that's been, I think, done since the, the current administration that right. is in office. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> sometimes things are really obvious and, I, and sometimes I try not to, you know, say things that seem super obvious. Right. <laughs> impression that we're not thinking through the, the issues, but... Um, but this administration is very different. I mean, I know people always uh, say, you know, politicians are politicians and there's, you know, um, disingenuous people on both sides or throughout history and all of that is true. But um, but the, the, but this administration and this president, you know, made it a point to make 
his policies and his way of communicating his ideas different. That was his whole platform, different than any, anything else. And, and in a lot of ways, very damaging. And so um, to, to a lot of people. So I do think that um, a lot of the youth are feeling this um, free reign that's been given to a lot of people to express even more um, their anti-black, anti-brown um, ideas and mentality, and people in power. Um, I remember hearing somebody say that, you know, our, our, our current Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, was at one time found to be um, too racist to be a judge in Alabama, mm. and, and now he's wow. the Attorney General of the United States, right? right. So, mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, when it, when it filters down to the ground, to the people, to the kids and the youth, you know, I do think that they are feeling this marginalization, this sense of being unwanted, and not only them, um, their parents, um, for people that have parents that are immigrants that may not have the, the documentation, Mm -hmm. um, there have been other studies that have shown that they feel that stress about what's mm -hmm. going to happen to my parents. Am I going to go home and they're going to be gone? Excuse me, which has happened. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so I think, you know, just um, in San Antonio, I remember, and this is common in other places, we've seen these things happen, but um, like about a year and a half ago <laughs> in a high school basketball game, there were two school districts playing in one is, is known to be historically affluent, predominantly white and affluent um, against another district that is primarily uh, Latinx. And, you know, the players and the crowd were chanting, go back to Mexico in, in the high school game, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if people are brave enough now to right. say things out loud, um, without fear of any type of real retribution, um, then, and I think our kids are feeling that. Absolutely. They definitely feel vulnerable. And I think um, the, I think the female, Latinx females definitely have the idea of being sexualized and objectified. And, and I think there is more of an open openness about victimizing them and, and harassing them um, that is on, on the rise. So um, I do think that the climate is is unwelcoming at the least definitely is affecting um, our self-concept sure one you already have populations both black and brown primarily that you know, k through 12 have very few representation mm -hmm. right right so this is a very basic psychological concept about building self-concept and identity mm -hmm. development if school is about teaching kids how to um, how to succeed, how to be people in the world, and there are relatively no representations of what success looks like for them and their communities and their families. And how are they supposed to kind of connect those dots um, of about what what does success and what does health look like for people that look like me, that look like my neighborhood, my family? And so they're already kind of marginalized in in, in most school systems and absent. And then, uh, and then you add kind of this definite um, assertive negativity onto them, and and then you see things like they've been feeling sad for what more than two weeks mm -hmm. <laughs> over the past year. That's pretty significant, right? Kids. 
Yeah. I think, um, sorry, my computer froze for a little bit. <laughs> uh, but no, it, it's, I agree with everything you said, and especially the, the boldness uh, that the administration has kind of put in some people where they feel it's not in hiding anymore. And I remember at one point, everybody was like, you know, I, I want to know who's racist. I want to know who feels that way. But it's different when you're young and to have it so blatantly like thrown in your face, like that's something that's a little more difficult to handle and understand, you know, and, and kids nowadays are definitely, it seems to be more exposed, um, not even just well, along with the fact that people are a little bit more bold in the way that they talk to uh, minorities and in the way that they interact with them, but also just in general, of course, social media and all those things where they have more knowledge of what's really going on in the world, whereas some of us were a little bit more protected when we were younger. Right. Right. And I think um, there was an article that came out a couple of years ago that I repost every once in a while on Facebook, and I'll, I'll do it again. And it's, it's um, the title is Millennials Are More Racist Than They Think. Mm. You know, one of the points is that they they try to see things, they try to transcend race, mm -hmm. but, but when there are real differences in, uh, in cultural values and economic differences, which often intersect, then, um, then they do have particularly negative opinions. And so, um, one, you really have that that's there. Right. And, and two, <laughs> it's almost like when people... When racists, racist people get to decide, which is happening now, people in power get to decide what racism is. Right. Then racism doesn't exist. Right. right? Uh, it's like the goalpost for what's offensive or discriminatory. Discriminatory keeps moving back and back. Mm -hmm. And the people that get to decide that are the ones that are in power, are the ones that are the perpetrators. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, from their perspective, you know, th there is no. There is no problem. Like right. they're the ones that are now in charge of defining what problematic is. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very unfortunate. <laughs> this is very very unfortunate. So when it comes to to therapy and and the I guess I don't know for like more modern therapy is what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. um, how do we decolonize therapy? How do we make it very clear that it is ours? Right. Um. Couple of things, you know, always have, have popped up to me, and this is something I think that we all, as as a field and people invested in this type of work, should continue to kind of um, expand and, and add our voices to. But I think one of the things is um, to really emphasize that there is a room for what we call knowledge, like more modern mm -hmm. uh, formal education and wisdom mm. and we and we you know if we talk to people you know almost any therapist they would acknowledge that but i'm talking about kind of more intentionally um and being aware of that and i'm also talking about equalizing those because right. i think you still privilege again both and not either or not getting rid of of course like why do we go through our master's degree why right. do we exactly right yeah there's knowledge out there you know, and even, even, even our ancestors, you know, we're always striving to build more knowledge, right? So, but it's about also saving a place for wisdom, right? And um, wisdom may mean looking at how we construct knowledge differently, 
Um, assuming that people come in with uh, a certain degree of knowledge about how to get through the world, even though they may be stumbling, even though they may have hurts that need to be healed, um, that they have a certain knowledge about how to get through the world and and that comes with a certain wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also ourselves have learned through colonization, they call it growing up, to dismiss the wisdom that our mm-hmm. parents and grandparents teach us. Right. And so for me, part of therapy when it makes sense is spending part of that conversation kind of helping people remember uh, what they don't know that they know, right? And so in a very real way, it's kind of like when we talk through this notion of kind of what's worked for you in the past, mm-hmm. kind of on a deeper level, like, you know, can we try to remember what were some of the stories that your mom told you, your dad told you, your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts, anything mm-hmm. that seemed different than what you were hearing everywhere else. Right. Um, that's one kind of way of kind of trying to get to some of the wisdom that might be there. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think privileging wisdom with formal knowledge is really important to kind of recognize that. Mm-hmm. I think it also means stopping our worship of individualism mm-hmm. um, and stop equating individualistic perspectives with health. Mm. Um, I think the field in general, the modern field, has gotten so many things right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially for black and brown folks, like we need to learn to take care of ourselves. We need to stop putting ourselves in situations where we continue to um, to invalidate our existence and right. who we are. Right? And um, and that's done because of, for a lot of reasons. You know? um, but we also need to find ways to uh, facilitate healthy connect- connectedness, you know, yeah. and relational and interdependence. And I think we need both of those things. So decolonizing to me is trying to realize that we almost all, almost exclusively think of health and mental health as an individualistic or as a self. Right, mm. and we need the self and the connection. We need the self and the relational, um, both. And depending on our clients, they may need more of one or the other, depending on where they're at. Right. And I think I said this in the town hall, um, but um, because a lot of the times when we talk about um, poor, maybe poor boundaries within families, mm-hmm. sometimes that's when a lot of Sexual abuse happens mm-hmm. in a lot of other ways mm-hmm. um, because we don't have those those clear boundaries set up, right? And so then when people maybe hear me talk, because I've heard some of these comments about, well, about the importance of family connectedness, well, that can also be really unhealthy. I mean, you know, I've seen people, you know, not want to tell their story because they feel retribution. They might have retribution from the family and, and all those are real real things, unhealthy. Um, and um, and so what I try to distinguish is that relatedness can be healthy and unhealthy mm-hmm. as individualism, right, can mm-hmm. be healthy and unhealthy. And so the unhealthy parts, one example that I see in like the individualistic families is that's when you see a lot of self-harm, right? Mm-hmm. Cutting or anorexia, 
a lot of eating disorders, particularly for females, um, a lot of substance abuse for particular, there are a lot of reasons for, but in this case, um, because they haven't learned even in their family to value that relatedness. So mm -hmm. they turn their pain inward. Yeah. Right. And um, so that's, that's an unhealthy way of looking at individualism, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we need to do in terms of the decolonizing processes, have both and realize that both ends have healthy and, and unhealthy uh, manifestations. Sure. Right? It's not about forget the family and focus on yourself right. or yourself and focus on the family. It's like what's healthy and unhealthy in each of those. Right. That and balance. That, you know, we can, we can uncover a lot. Right. Right. It sounds like, uh, and this is probably just my uh, school brain, <laughs> but I, I'm hearing like a lot with even MFT like mm -hmm. theories and, yeah. you know, Attachments. yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or enmeshment, but like, you know, kind of separating yourself, getting yourself together, but then coming back into the family in a healthy way, but still making sure that you have that relationship because it still is important. Right. It's not about completely detaching and living your own life separate from your family. Right. Um, it's about learning how to be healthy yourself and then bringing that healthiness back into the family and maybe even affecting the way the family interacts. Mm -hmm. But um, so which, which I, makes sense. <laughs> which I think, you know, um, I think it's, 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 it's interesting, you know, like when you're first generation, right? Like, so um, you're growing up here and you're where it is more of this kind of individualistic, type of values. And then, you know, and I can speak for myself, you know, coming from a Mexican family where you don't leave home at 18. Like, what is that? Right. And so that in and of itself, when you're first generation trying to also find the balance between all of that can can be an added level of confusion. Right. And I think, um, again, like sometimes when we're talking with those type of intergenerational issues, mm -hmm. sometimes it's an intergenerational conflict that can maybe mis be misperceived by maybe a white therapist as a cultural issue, or it can be a cultural conflict that sometimes is misinterpreted as just a generational issue. Mm -hmm. yeah, kind of like, um, sometimes it's clear cut that it's one or the other, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's that navigation, you know, that you were talking about, that it's a little bit more complicated. We have right. to navigate with our clients through that process. Right, right. So these are topics that you regularly talk about in your workshops, right, and um, that you have in Austin, and they're for therapists, but they're also for the community as well. Um, what do you have coming up? Um, right now, we have one that's primarily geared toward uh, mental health professionals in San Antonio. Um, and it's one that I've done. Uh, some of them, you know, I, I, I you know, right. once in a while because because um, you don't reach everybody the first time. Right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so this one um, I call it brown browning your counseling or brown your counseling, <laughs> right. and, uh, which fits with kind of everything we're saying. Absolutely, know, get this notion of you know that we need to brown it up. You know, and that's what y'all are doing. You know, yes. I would brown it up, right? Yes. Right. Exactly what y'all are doing, and so um, and it's about you know some notions about working with uh, Chicanx and Latinx clients, you mm -hmm. know, um, and coming from what I call uh, a, a Chicanx affirmative perspective, um, 
And so that, for me, what that means is centering the culture, centering this particular culture, you know, Mexican, Mexican descent and, and Latinx cultures that not how to center it and the idea that we should center this cultural perspective in our practice. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by centering, I think sometimes we hear that, um, is that a lot of the times we have the, the modern traditional ways we do therapy and being culturally competent means adding the cultural piece, right? Um, which can be okay sometimes, but I'm kind of tired of being an add-on, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the idea that um, we bring those cultural perspectives and values to the center. It's not waiting to see you know, how we add it into our therapy, but it's kind of integrating it into every piece that we do. Uh, and what that means is what I'd like to, um, when I would teach um, you know, a master's students about, or, you know, teach, teach like the multicultural class or, or actually any class, um, one of the things we would talk about is, well, how do you bring this up in session? And mm-hmm. our clients, they talk like real people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I always talk about using real language, right? Real, and so that means we have to figure out how to how do you bring up cultural identity without saying cultural identity. I don't right. know my family, the people that I know, a lot of our clients. That's <laughs> like we're here talking, like you know, let's talk about your cultural identity. I mean, that's right. <laughs> marginalizes, right? So right. when we talk about cultural values, and you know, and you know, well, most clients aren't gonna aren't gonna respond to like questions about well some may you know more, some of us some may but maybe not all of them will be will be like responding to let's talk about you know um the role that culture plays in in, in your anxiety Can right. we talk about that? <laughs> you know that's not because mm-hmm. we don't talk that way so my point is that we need to find real ways mm. to talking to our clients you know? right yeah. so um, that may be, for me, um, that's about eliciting stories a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. You know, stories about friendships and relationships and whatever their anxiety or depression or trauma is that they talk about, you know, if they locate it in, uh, in their childhood or they locate it in something that happened at work and they can describe the incident, but if it's if it makes sense for them and they're able to, I want them to tell a little bit, I want them to tell a story about it as opposed to just describe it. Can you tell me like um, a story about when that happened? Or I might just say an example, right? Talking about CEO, right? Like people may not hear that as much. So can you tell me an example? And then in my questions, I'll expand that example into into a story. Mm-hmm. Um, your family, like talking about family values, talking mm-hmm. about um, what it was like growing up in your family, in your school, in your community. Because a lot of the times our cultural values, you know, emanate and are integrated into those experiences. And people are used to talking about that, right? Right. So, um, so in my end, that's when I can see, you know, what the, the cultural perspectives and values might be. Hmm. And when you build that relationship, I might, I might offer that to them a little bit later. And I might say, like, this have you thought about it in this way? Or it sounds like, or a lot of the times when I talk to other clients, they may describe it as kind of just being part of their, their cultural identity. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But only after there's been, you know, 
a rapport established. There's been an interaction, and and only if those discussions have been helpful. Right. right. So it's not about just directly saying, "Tell me about your culture." <laughs> it's kind of learning through whatever they share and things like that. Um, yeah. Bringing it back. Bringing it back to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what is your favorite resource or book or anything that you um, like to share with? either other clinicians or the community? You know, I think that's kind of all spread out. One of the um, one of the people that I refer back to is um, another Manuel, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Manuel Ramirez. He is, um, he's written a couple of books. Um, mostly he's, he was a professor at, uh, at UT here in the clinical psychology program. He's on phase retirement. He was one of the first um, people, I think he started as a graduate student in the late 60s, early 70s, getting uh, Latinx and Chicanx psychologists and mental health folks together for conferences and, and talking about these issues. Mm-hmm. And been in this uh, dialogue for a long time. And um, one of the books he wrote was called Multiracial, Multicultural Psychology, Perspectives on Personality and Mental Health in the uh, late 90s. And in the early 80s, he wrote a book called Psychology of the Americas. And that's a really underutilized perspective. It's a little more academic, you know. Um, but what he does is he talks about what we're talking about now. He's one of the first people to say, you know, the people of the Americas have had different concepts of mental health for a long time. Mm-hmm. to recognize those, those different concepts um, and, and that they're legitimate, right? So um, some of his work uh, is work that I look at often. There's also a more contemporary um, psychotherapist called named Joseph Cervantes out of California. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, he writes a lot about utilizing spirituality and indigenous practices with a lot of Latinx cultures and the notion of healing um, and that mental health can be also one path of uh, mental health field of healing for a lot of black and brown folks. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm taking um, notes over here. I'm like, okay. Right, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, 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 uh, the last name of the uh, the first Manuel? What was that again? Could you spell it? The first, uh, Manuel Ramirez. Ramirez, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's my mom's maiden name, so I know how to spell that. <laughs> okay. Um, so what makes you a dope therapist? I mean, we've been talking about it for about 40 minutes, so we already know. But <laughs> you can share. What makes you dope? <laughs> I love that y'all asked that, right? That's kind of also one of the things that we don't do very often is no. pop ourselves up, right? right. Or just, just, you know, really think about what it is we're trying to do and um, I think one of the things that I really, really try to do is know that people are coming to me um, with a lot, like I said before, a lot of competence, a lot of resilience, a lot of wisdom. And so I think one of the things that I feel that I've been trying to do a lot is navigating through all the struggles and the pain and the trauma to see these common themes that come up in people's lives where they have utilized their individual strengths and their family strengths and their cultural strengths. Mm. And 
and finding ways to talk about that with them. Right. Um, and in reframing that mm-hmm. for them as, you know, they're coming in with, they're coming in limping, right? They're coming in with a, a lot, but they're still moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. They're still walking. Um, and where did that come from? You know, the very obvious kind of question, but, you know, where did that come from? Where did you learn that? Um, and those are hard questions to, to yeah. answer sometimes, which is why it's a therapeutic process. Right. And it's the same thing as therapists getting frustrated sometimes when clients have a hard time figuring out what their goals are. Well, you know, you can ask me that now, and I may not know right off the top of my head as well. Mm-hmm. It's, a process, it's a journey. Uh, and so I think letting the community and the clients know that it's a sign of strength and a sign of wisdom to be able to come in and and utilize this thing that we call therapy. Right? And so I think trying to communicate that, that this is just one way, you know, and acknowledging that it's not the only way. Right. right. But it's, you know, it, I think it could be a great way. It may not be for them, maybe, but we're really going to try to get through this and, and we're really going to, you know, see what can come of this. Yeah, and I think that there's a balance between, like, I'm not going to impose my stuff on you, my beliefs, and I'm not going to be the one that's going to tell you how to do it better, right? Mm -hmm. I'm also, I am also going to be part of the conversation with you. Mm. I think that's the thing that that we lose a lot with this egalitarian type of Rogerian type of work, which I value a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes what therapists can take away from that is like, well, I don't want to lead and it's kind of going to be up to them when they're ready for change. And I think we shortchange our clients more times than we think mm. and we leave it on them mm-hmm. to get ready for change because we are also change agents, right? It's a collaborative conversation. So I can't change for them, right? Okay. But I can work to be collaborative. I can work to, to make a, a climate where they may be more apt to take that step. If I leave the step all up to them, that's that individualistic thing coming through. Like, well, I don't want to impose. Uh, I don't want to be directive. It's up to them to take the step toward me. Yeah, but you're talking about people that have been told their whole life and for generations, don't take that step, right? right. Like, mm-hmm. Good enough, you're not worthy enough for all those different things. Mm-hmm. So we, we have to create a different space. In there. I love that. I love that because Ebony and I talk about that all the time, like not that our approach is more of this, we're in this together type mm-hmm. of not I'm the therapist and so I am, you know, the all knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love how you describe that of I'm not imposing, but I'm, I'm offering that process to them to facilitate that change. Right. And it may not be directive, but it's, it's kind of like you're creating a safe space for change to happen. Mm-hmm. And I may give suggestions. I may, you know, try to help facilitate it and help you along in places where you don't feel like you have the strength to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. Love it. Awesome. So, okay. How are you working? And it probably goes back to the workshops and all the things that you have going on. But how are you working to change uh, the mental health game for minority communities? Well, um, yeah, I think the stuff that we're doing, you know, in the community with the workshops and the trainings and um, bringing mental health ideas and addressing them and bringing them to the people as opposed to having them walk to us, 
-hmm. A lot of the times in the field, we talk about clearing the pathways for uh, for clients of color to come to us. Both and, right? Not either or. That's important. Right. Right? Those pathways have been blocked. But I, what I think what I'm trying to do is, is also walking to them, right, right as well. Um, and that's that notion that that sometimes I talk about when I say, like, um, I think of it as henta psychology, right? People psychology, henta mm -hmm. mental health, right? It, it's not always the narrative, right? That's the concept I use a lot. It's not always the narrative of clearing the path so that they can come to us, mm. which is important, but also there have to be some of us that go to the people as well. Right. So I, um, I think there has to be a two-way. That's where you build trust. That's where you reintroduce mental health field to our people as something that they can come to when they're ready as well, right? Um, and I think part of what we're doing in those interactions is, uh, is that process. And it also, I think, means that what, what I'm trying to do is talk more about this idea of help, uh, help giving behavior, right? the expectation of help giving behavior from clients, from our peoples, because we talk a lot about help seeking behavior and mm -hmm. help seeking behavior focuses on the clients, right? And we try to address like, well, what do they do when they need help? You know, how do they seek out help and how can they see us as an option for that? So we try to, again, remove those barriers. But a lot of the times um, our, our people come to any, anybody that they're gonna ask help from. And there's an expectation that we're going to offer that help without anything distracting us from that. This is what I mean. This is kind of the Rogerian thing. This is all, all of this all put together is, have you ever been to a relative's house, a friend's house, and you're there to visit? They may be somebody new, they may be you know, your, your aunt, anybody. Mm -hmm. And someone's going to place a plate of food in front of you. Mm -hmm. And they're going to expect you to eat. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter if you're not hungry. Right. right. Polite, you say, well, I'm not hungry. It's like, it doesn't matter. They're going to put that plate of food in front of you. Because, and, and I know, like, the younger generation, or sometimes as we go through the process, individualism, some people get upset and they get frustrated. They're like, I told them I wasn't hungry. They keep eating me. <laughs> um, and the polite thing to do is eat. But again, usually we focus on us in that process. A lot of the times for those people that offer that food, they can't think of themselves not doing that. Right? It would be an affront to themselves not to offer a guest a relative, whoever it is that come into their house, it's part of who they are as being uh, hospitable, as being a person in the world. Mm -hmm. I am going to offer and I'm going to make that food or I'm going to put that plate of food in front of me. And nothing you can do is going to make me change my mind about that, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter because that's who I am. That's what I do. You know, you've been out. You're probably hungry. If you're not, I'm going to offer it to you anyway. So... My point with that is that sometimes our clients come to us and they're not sure how to ask for what they need. Mm. They're to ask for what they want. 
particularly a lot of female clients have been shut down and a lot of female clients of color are used to other people being more important to, than they are and they're used to other problems being more important than than the problems that they have that they may think are just not as important they may say things like i'm sure your other clients have a lot more important things mm. that they come to you with i'm not sure if this is important enough to talk mm. about right and what they expect knowingly or unknowingly or somewhere in there is they expect us to continue to offer that plate of food we're the people that need to have that unshakable sense of hospitality no tell me about that you know because i've known too many therapists that they they're well-intentioned and they work up to a certain point and then they're like well okay you know this is your time um i'll definitely listen to you if you want but you know if but if you feel like it's not important then we can move on to something else or they they stop offering because there's a certain point where that individualistic mindset says, well, it's up to them, right? Mm -hmm. It's up to them to change. It's up to them to let them know, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this expectation that we're going to continue to offer help. No, it's it's really okay, you know? And you yeah. do that several times. Right. You have to, you know, talk about different things, right, in the process. Um, but we're not going to give up trying to connect, trying to be collaborative. Mm. You know, um, maybe you don't think this is important. It's important to me. You know? mm, got it. Um, we can offer things, you know, like we can offer our own appropriate self-disclosure. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I remember when something was really bothering me and I wasn't sure if I should tell somebody and all I needed was someone just to sit with me five minutes longer, you know, one session longer. Right. Couple, then I would have been ready, right? Um, so I think that help offering behavior is the other side of the help seeking behavior, and that's us. And our clients expect us to continue mm. to ask, continue to offer that help. Right. Uh, oh, that makes that. I love that. I love just everything that you've said, and and kind of really looking at what we do and the field itself um, from this perspective, I think it just makes so much sense. And um, I think it is, again, that piece that, you know, can really resonate with so many of us because it, it is maybe that part that we're, we're missing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah, definitely. Well, the last question is kind of, and again, I feel like this has just been a summary of what we talked about, but why is therapy dope, especially for minorities? I think it is because it helps us realize that we matter in the world. That's right. Yes. Love that. I yeah. love that. You always have so many quotables. Dr. <laughs> therapy is ours. You said something earlier too, and I was like, oh, 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 like, just so many, you know, pearls of wisdom. And I think, you know, just from uh, the times that we've been able to chat with you and I had the the privilege of going to one of your platicas, which that in it of itself, they're very much set up like what you're talking about. I loved that at the beginning, we're kind of coming together. It is very community oriented, um, even that time that I went, there was community members, there was therapists. Um, and so I always feel like I learned so much just hearing you speak. So 
thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I feel good this morning. <laughs> we definitely appreciate you being a guest on the show and yes. dropping all those little gems. And, and I hope people um, that were either watching there or that will listen later, mm-hmm. you know, really pick up on it and get something out of it. And especially therapists and understanding how we can, we need to be a part of the process and not just mm-hmm. facilitating the process. Um, because I think that truly will help clients, especially minority clients that are, you know, still kind of hesitant about this whole process. Yes. So, all right. Do we have anything we need to announce, Elisa? So tomorrow we have our webinar. Yes. Yes. Our very own Justin Smith, uh, founder of the Queer Center, is going to be having a webinar that is uh, when culture and sexuality intersect in the therapy room. So that's gonna be fantastic. Um, can still register for that. If you are on the directory, then you have access to that. That's part of your membership. Um, and we are hopefully, oh, and Pride Month is still going, so you can still get those Pride shirts. Um, Pride ther- Proud Therapist, Proud Ally, um, they're on the Melanin and Mental Health um website use the promo code pride um for that for a discount and show your support for our lgbtq brothers and sisters as well um and i think that's it for this month we've it's i can't believe that we're moving into july we're going yes. to we're the second half of the year already that so, is overwhelming yeah next I, month we will have <laughs> a local happy hour here in houston yes. and then we have more webinars coming up so just Stick around, follow us across social media at Melanin and Mental Health, Melanin Health on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And sign up for the directory if directory. you're a therapist because you not only get listed um, as a therapist so that our clients can find you. We tell people all the time, people are there's not a week that goes by where we don't get several requests for people looking for therapists. Um, they hear us talking about all of these. Um, topics and themes and they're like okay now where are they at mm-hmm. so let them make it easy to find you and then you get access to these webinars and um you know all these additional um perks as a member you get priority being on the podcast mm-hmm. um we want to let we just want to do everything we can to connect the community with um these therapists that we're telling them we're out here Right. We're out right. here. <laughs> and we're changing the face of therapy on both sides of the couch. Yes. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Manuel, for joining thank us. So thank much. you for everyone that's listening. Uh-oh. And we will talk to you next week. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Dr. Manuel.